0: close your eyes. Close your eyes, open the rest of your senses just for a couple of minutes while I read through this passage and while I pray for our time together this morning. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 to 17 says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives In Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death, to the other, an aroma that brings life. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to study your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about who we are as your people in community and in the world that doesn't yet know you. And God, we ask that you would speak deep truth into our lives, open our ears to hear, open our senses to what it is you're teaching us today. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We all smell. Some of us have smells that are particularly overpowering. I'm sure a person pops into your mind when I say that. But most of us try to ensure that the smells that we do have are going to be pleasant. And I think that we would all agree that aroma is a really, really powerful thing. Smells can take us back to a moment in history that just one whiff reminds us of. I used to live in the UAE, and shisha was a very common thing there on the side of the streets at all the restaurants. And if I catch a smell of shisha today, I remember the friendships that I had in the UAE. I remember the sense of relaxation and adventure. But I know that for my colleague whose heart was broken while she lived there, that smell reminds her of rejection and heartache. Smells can alter our moods. They can get us to do something or not do something that, in other circumstances, we would think twice about doing. So, for example, if an estate agent wants to help you sell your home, Sometimes they encourage you to put some fresh cookies in the oven so that whoever comes into the house as a potential buyer will catch a whiff of that delicious aroma, that homely aroma, and say, yes, I need this home because here I want good food. Sometimes smells can be so overpowering that to a nauseous or a sick person or a pregnant woman, they can make you throw up. And in some instances, I've seen it happen that fumes to those that are allergic to that fume can lead to anaphylactic shock. I wonder now, did anybody catch a whiff of incense as I was reading that passage? And I wonder what association incense would have to you as you sit here this morning. From 2007 until 2010, my husband David and I had the opportunity of living in India. If you were to ask me to sum up my experience of life in India, uh, the first descriptive phrase I would probably use is sensory overload. All the time, every one of my senses was continually being engaged. But for me, the most powerful of those senses was that of smell. Likewise, as followers of Christ, all of our senses are to be continually engaged. Actually, in the early Christian church, when they met together, their worship was a very sen- senseless experience. They had um, incense and they had candles burning during their meeting. They would eat a meal together. They would sing together. They would greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't know if you guys would like to do that today. <laughs> yeah. But I love the descriptions in the Bible about who we are called to be to one another as a community and who we are called to be to the world around us. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard at least one sermon on the senses in the Bible. For example, we are the salt of the earth. We are to be full of flavor. We are to be a healing property. We are able to preserve all the things that are good. Or we are the light of the world. In a dark place, even the smallest flicker of that light will bring comfort will bring hope, will bring direction. We are the hands and we are the feet of Christ, representing him in our every touch, in our every action, in our every work. But to be the aroma of Christ, and in other translations, the scent, the perfume, the fragrance of Christ, that's not something that I've often thought about. We as followers of Christ... As captives in God's army, according to the passage in 2 Corinthians 2, we are also his aroma. Recently, we looked at the passage of Daniel and um, how him and his friends displayed kingdom courage. This morning, I want to revisit that furnace in Daniel chapter 3 in preparation for the passage that we're studying together. So Ben's going to pop up Daniel um, chapter 3 verse 19 onwards. Thanks, Ben. So then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded that some of the strongest soldiers in his army tied up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into that blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. Isn't it interesting? He didn't want the fourth guy to come out. He's like you, I don't want anything to do with you to it. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not been harmful to their bodies nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. We all face fires. And my main question here for us today is what aroma do we exude as we walk through our fires? Bible teacher Beth Moore says the following about the fires that we face. I'm going to touch on them quickly, and then we'll look on them in more detail in the end. They're on the notes at the end of the pew, too. Firstly, we can be delivered from the fire. If we are delivered from the fire, the dividend of this is that our faith is built. Secondly, we can be delivered through the fire. The dividend of this is that our faith can be refined. And thirdly, we can be delivered by the fire into God's arms. The dividend of this is our faith is perfected. So let's look at these three in a little bit more detail. We can be delivered from the fire. The dividend of this is our faith is built. So for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, getting told they were about to be thrown into the fire, they were convinced that their God was not going to let them down. They didn't know what he was going to do, but they were determined to stay devoted to him and to watch what he did. Would he maybe put the fire out? Would he maybe change King Nebuchadnezzar's mind? Might he choose to deliver them from this fire? We all know that this wasn't the case for them, and into the fire they were thrown. In 2009, while my husband and I were living in India, we got pregnant with our first child, and we went along for our 20-week scan. And in just a moment, we went from a really carefree expectant parent attitude, who were desperate to catch a glimpse of our child's cuteness on that ultrasound, to sobbing, inconsolable epitomies of desperation and fear when the doctor pointed out a problem with our baby's heart, a potential problem. After further scans, we were told that our child had a fatal heart condition that was incompatible with life, and as such they recommended that we terminate the pregnancy. We dropped to our knees in prayer, and for the next four months, All we could do was pour our prayers into our unborn child's unformed body. Family and friends from around the world rallied around, sometimes in 24-hour prayer vigils, asking God to deliver us from the fire we were told we had to face. Our motto became, miracle expected, God's will accepted. For the remainder of the pregnancy, we didn't check the baby's heart again, but we kept hoping that ours would be an example of being delivered from that fire. We were hoping that the dividend of this experience would bring faith. Firstly, faith to those around us who were worshiping other gods and didn't yet know the true Christ. Secondly, that it would bring faith to us and our belief that our God is a God of miracles and he can heal and he can do the miraculous. Could being delivered from the fire be a way that our lives are an aroma of Christ? Secondly, we can be delivered through the fire and the dividend of this is that our faith is refined. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were probably thinking that they would either be delivered from the fire or that they would be delivered by the fire into God's arms. I don't think for a moment did they even imagine that they would go through the fire and live. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2 to 3, God says, he promises, when you face stormy seas, I will be there with you with endurance and with calm, you will not be engulfed by the raging rivers. If it seems like you are walking through fire and flames are licking at your limbs, keep going, you will not be burnt, because I, the Eternal One, am your God. I am the Holy One of Israel, and I will save you. Incredibly, as we look at Daniel chapter 3 verse 27, we read that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not in any ways harmed by the fire they went through. In fact, the only effect that that fire had on them was it burnt their their chains, their bonds. And a point that's often overlooked in this passage is that they didn't even smell of smoke. This is a pretty amazing feat. I've been to numerous barbecues in my lifetime, and to be honest, and it's very vain, but the most annoying thing when I go to the barbecue is that as far away as I stand from that fire, I still come away smelling of smoke. My hair smells like smoke, my clothes smell like smoke, and that smell lingers on me until I wash, until I cleanse myself, and everyone I come into contact after that barbecue says, hmm, she's been at a barbecue smell the smoke on her. I have stank of smoke. How remarkable is it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not even smell of smoke. And a struggle that I think those outside the church often face with us first world Christians is that we often walk around smelling of smoke over whatever personal fire we're currently going through. We could smell of smoke over the job promotion that we weren't given, or of the new car that we weren't upgraded to, or the fact that somebody offended us last week, or the fact that somebody had the audacity to burn incense in church on Sunday. And I wonder if we ask the people who we are most often around what they would say our aroma is might they use words such as bitterness or negativity or envy or pride, disillusionment, unforgiveness, or even fearfulness? Now we turn back to our passage in 2 Corinthians two fourteen to 16. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, we are an aroma that brings life. Those reading this letter, the church in Corinth, would have really recognized this reference to the Roman triumphal procession, which was sponsored by the emperor to celebrate the particularly important military victories of the day. And it's really key for us to note here that Christians are to identify ourselves with the captives in the procession, those that have gone through the battle and are still standing. Likewise, God puts the examples of each and every one of our lives on display, particularly the battles we have faced and the fires that we've been delivered through, as well as our testimony of who Christ has been to us in that season and what he means to us today. Our example will be good news to those who know Christ and will be repulsive to those who don't have a hope in him. Believers will recognize the life-giving fragrance of our message, but non-believers, it will smell foul, like death. In our own story, in July of 2009, when our son Daniel was born, he was gorgeous, strong, healthy-looking child, 3.76 kilos of absolute cuteness. Soon after the delivery, he was taken to the nursery. And a pediatric pediatric cardiologist was brought in to do an ultrasound of his heart. And the results were as the cardiologist had expected. Daniel had been diagnosed with a hyperplastic left heart, and he wouldn't live for more than a few days, possibly only a few hours. Daniel's sentence had been given, and little did we know, our parade had begun the thing is, when we go through fires, people watch us. All people. Those who know Christ and those who've never given Christ's name a second thought. Many years before this, David and I had been taken captive by God, by his mercy, by his grace, by his forgiveness and his radical, sacrificial love, and his willingness to be the potter and to take me, To work and form me into an image that would hopefully one day point others to him. We began to see that incense needs fire to be released. These fires we face, they are the lens through which the world looks at us. And as they watch, they are overwhelmed with an aroma the aroma of life to those who embrace the upside down economy of God where death actually leads to life and where giving away is receiving and where I must become less in order for him to be be made greater and to be more. The dividend of this and in mine and in David's life was that God graciously refined our faith Still to this day, I've never known a time where my faith has been as real or as raw or where I felt God's presence as near or as tender or as tangible as I did in that season. And to those fellow Christians who are walking this journey with us, their faith was also refined. They battled with God and they got a new understanding of his ways and the ways that he loves us and they wrestled over him. Um, With him over what was happening in little Daniel's life. Our prayer was that the aroma created in us by the fire we were going through would be a pleasant and fragrant and hopeful aroma. We had to watch that no scent of bitterness or disillusionment arose. In my own heart, God opened a depth of compassion and intimacy that I would never have been able to tap into had it not been for our trial by fire. Out of that season, we were moved to Houston, Texas, and I was given an opportunity to work as a chaplain in Texas Children's Hospital and walk alongside other parents and children as they face their own fires. Thirdly, we can be delivered through the fire into God's arms. And the dividend of this is that our faith is perfected. Sometimes, for reasons that aren't ours to answer, God chooses to take us home to spend eternity with him in that fire. We all have to go home someday, and it might be that the fire we are given is the vehicle that God uses to take us home. This was our Daniel's experience. Daniel Kieran Seabrook lived on this earth earth for 53 hours. And as his parents, we have grieved deeply for the loss of our firstborn child, our only son. We have grieved the loss of the potential that such an early death cheats a child out of. However, as children of God, as those in his army, as those that know that the victory ultimately is his, He has given us eyes graciously to see eternity. He's given us his perspective that says one day is worth a thousand years. And that Daniel's short life on this earth is as impactful and as valid and as aromatic as those watching a life of somebody who's lived on this earth for a hundred years. Can we, in our death, still be an aroma for Christ? In conclusion, we are aware that our story is an aroma that we are giving off amongst those we are encountering. Is it an aroma that God is pleased with? Is it an aroma of life to those who are being saved and death to those who are perishing? Does our story point to Christ, the giver of life and the redeemer of all stories, The one who uses fire to either give us faith or to refine our faith or to to perfect our faith. The one who makes all things new. Or does our story leave others gasping through our fumes to make sense and meaning, leaving the aroma of hopelessness in our wake? The idea is not that we are a sweet smell to everybody that we meet, obliging every desire to have others always like us. But our aroma is an overflow of what is happening in our deepest parts. What is the sweet aroma? Is it possibly the holding of our tongue when someone else might lash out? Is it the touching, the hug of the untouchable? Is it the sacrificial gift Is it the kind word offered, forgiving the unforgivable, the hope in the face of certain death? Is it the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness? Is it the self-control? Is it the peace that passes all understanding? Can these be the aromas that define us?